And my guest this week is T. Bui. Um, her new book from Abrams, which has been a number of years uh, in the making, The Best We Could Do, uh, is a fantastic memoir of her parents and her parents' parents and the uh, journey of leaving um, post war Vietnam um, and kind of the experiences that your, you and your family go through at that point in the late 70s and resettling in the early 80s. Is that an okay way of summing it up? That's great. I'm so glad you didn't make me do it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we will get into more of the particulars of that. Um, but I think before we actually jump in the book, I want to kind of rewind because I first met you uh, six, six years ago. Yeah, at Stumptown, yeah. um, the, the much-missed show in Portland and you were talking about this book you wanted to work on. And I don't know if it was the same at that point. What you had in mind was the same that came out today. I have a feeling there's been a lot of change in the process. 
Or has it all uh, stayed pretty on target for your focus? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's changed a lot. Um, I, I at least had the title by then because um, it was going under a different name for a little bit. I think it was Refugee Reflex for a while and then Reflex, but that I knew that that wasn't the right, the right uh, title. But I think I'd figured out the best we could do right before I met you. Well, the interesting thing is um, it, it, it feels like it's, it's less about the, for me, it's less about the, the refugee experience uh, and more focused on kind of what leads up to that, mm-hmm. which, which I find really interesting. Um, but I think before we jump into that, because I have a bunch to talk about mm-hmm. in the book, is I kind of want to get to that point of, um, because this is your first major work, you had done, um, we mentioned before we started interviewing, a smaller uh, short comic, and I know um, you had done uh, a residency program many mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, I think that was, that Craig Thompson was teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a year before we met. And I think Pat Grant was also in that same program. Yeah, yeah, some great people. Pat Grant, uh, Sam Alden, Dave oh. Kirsch, uh, Sarah Joan Mo- Sarah Mo- jo- sorry Sarah Joan Mokhtar, who's in Malaysia, and Cecilia Latella from Italy, and uh, Jed McGowan in LA. That's uh, that's uh, some stellar folks in there. Yeah, you've interviewed a lot of them, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I love Sam. He is fantastic. And yeah. Dave is great, too. Uh, the other folks, I don't know that work, but I'm sure you guys are fantastic. <laughs> they were all very nice. Pat called us the um, neurotic memoir comics for old people group, which is pretty spot on. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because uh, Pat's stuff doesn't feel very memoirish anymore. No. He's, he's gone into such an interesting way. Um, I don't know. People Have should you check been... stuff. Yeah, have you been following his new book? No, I haven't. Is it it's more a, this? Is it within a different style or? Um, well, it's different. It's a different style, and it's also genre fiction for for young people. Okay, interesting. I'll have to check it out. Uh, and Pat's also doing a lot of interesting stuff. I think he's doing a similar residency program now too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I got to go to the last one that was on a remote island off the coast of Tasmania. That sounds terrible. Oh, no, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was yeah. such a good time. Yeah. Pat cooked for us the entire time. Now, when you went to that residency program, so that's seven years ago then, if I met you six years ago, and that was the year before. Um, right, at had, the Atlantic Center for the Arts in Florida. Um, had this been, like, did you have, like, a clear intention that you needed to do a book about your family or your family's experience um was it just kind of building your skills to get to the point of doing this work yeah you know like i had i I, you know previous to that i had the idea that i wanted to do this book as a graphic novel but i had no i had no actual experience doing comics um other than sort of doing them kind of badly on my own Mm -hmm. so the the residency was the first time that I got a chance to hang out with actual cartoonists and uh, see how they do it. <clears throat> so it was, it, was, it was amazing for me. I felt like that was my first time um, really understanding what it what it would look. Mm-hmm. And then it was then it was a long time actually making the thing. 
what kind of things did you learn through the process um, that kind of shifted to understand how to make comics at that point? Because I'm interested, because I almost feel like it's you're, you're coming at it from, and I know it's a wrong term, like an academic approach to comics. Um, well, let's call it project-based learning. So I had this like yeah. project that I wanted to do, and then I taught myself the skills <laughs> to do it. Um, and this is how I approach everything um, so yeah, I, I guess it's academic in the sense that like I'm a good student, and so when I put my mind to learning something, I'll, I'll actually do it, um, even if it takes a long time. So yeah, I guess I have like a pretty, um, pretty good understanding of like how comics are different than than another medium. Mm-hmm. Now I got I had a, like I, I learned a real appreciation for s- sequencing events or sequencing like your reading experience. Um, it was Craig who, who talked me out of doing it more like a visual journal, which is kind of where I, I was at when I started working with him. And, um, yeah, I guess, like, we I just read a lot of comics and looked at a lot of comics and broke down scenes and asked the other people in the group to um, <clears throat> each, like, tackle a few pages of mine and see how they, they approached, uh, like, the same content and the same words and everything through panel storytelling um, and seeing seven really different ways of approaching it. Oh, I forgot Jake Wyatt was in the group too. <clears throat> so seeing seven totally different ways of, of approaching um, like a few pages from my first chapter taught me that there wasn't really one right way to do it, but it did like give me like a, like a sensitivity to, the things that you could do with images in sequence. What were, well, actually I want to talk a little bit about the journal thing. Was that kind of more of a like denser way of telling the story? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, so this is what happens. I think when somebody who draws and, and writes thinks that they can do comics is they tend to put all the words like sort of randomly (laughs) across the page and use like one big visual metaphor spreading across the page. Or maybe if they use panels, they might just be a little bit scattershot about like what the function of panels is. So it's all a bit arty and um, there's no like actual passage of time happening. So it's all, it's all a little bit timeless, which um, is cool once in a while, but you, it's hard to really pull the reader into the story doing that throughout the whole book. What kind of writing had you done um, as well beyond just uh, like before doing comics? Um, Was it mostly journal based or? I guess like, um, no, I'd I'd, I'd written fiction, I'd written poems, I'd written journals, um, uh, lots of academic writing. I think I'd always written to communicate. Yeah. Starting in this book, doing this book, um, what were some particular things you want to communicate with it? Uh, whoa, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just recline. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so so the book did take me a long time. I, I would say it took me twelve years. So I was a, I was a younger, more angry person when I started it than I am now. Um, I didn't have a child when I started it. I was a 20 something year old grad student. 
who had grown up with a lot of bad Vietnam War movies and who was, um, like I had written a, an academic master's project about uh, the Vietnam War and representation, and I'd done a, an oral history with my family. <clears throat> so I had a lot of things to say about like what I didn't like about how you know, my people had been represented or, or misrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess as I was working on the book, I also had a lot of things to process about uh, my family history and the kind of things that get passed down from generation to generation. Um, when you when you survive things like war and trauma, so I guess that it became a, a mishmash of like that sort of angry need to like right some wrongs and that sort of sad desire to um, uh, sort of take the, the personal effects of those wrongs and, and uh, figure out how you can live with them. I'm interested about how um, when you really delve into this history, um, because you go pretty far back with your family's history, and it's really interesting how you're really able to pull a lot of stuff from from your parents uh, and other family members. Um, and, and, and I'm fascinated in kind of how, as an historian in a way, you kind of almost remove yourself personally from documenting this very personal situation. I tried. I, if it was my, if it, if it was completely up to me, it would not have been a memoir. Yeah. But I, I think that it needed, you know, the, a lot of the feedback was that it was confusing to follow so many different characters, so many generations back, and it, so it needed a protagonist that you know could sort of guide the reader through the story. So I had to volunteer myself, but it's really not about me. Yeah. Well, it is about you in the way of um, how your family's experiences inform who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, because there had to be that connective tissue through the whole thing. <clears throat> so part way through the book, I realized that the thing that would connect everybody uh together was the desire for freedom or the desire for independence and then the price of it. Mm -hmm. And that was my way of uh, talking about the the, the tension between parents and children. And then also the tension between uh, Vietnam and its colonialist past and, and the civil war that eventually led to independence, but also, you know, came with a, a really steep price. I want to talk about about that research and about pulling that information out and kind of the challenges of of bringing these primary sources out from your family members and yeah. <laughs> how you had to like coax things because th- these yeah. are pretty traumatic situations that your parents had both been through um, yeah. in their own ways. Um, well, I, I don't think that I ever would have been able to do the book if I – wasn't the child of two people who actually like to talk. (laughs) So um, I think it was Joe Sacco the same year that I met you who told me that, you know, I was lucky to have access to that, to that history and that information so I could do something with it. I think that's very true. Mm -hmm. Like there was a, there was, there was a fair bit of coaxing and 
strategically figuring out how to interview my parents that got the information out. But, you know, I started with, with two willing subjects. Um, what were some of the interesting narrative strands that were coming out of those conversations that you weren't really aware of before? Um, let's see. Well, a lot of the the stuff with their parents. So, um, and it's interesting when you, when you can interview your parents, not as your parents, but as like people outside of you. Yeah. And then they start to tell you all kinds of things, you know, when they, when they no longer have the burden of having to be like a good role model for you or anything (laughs) like that, or take care of you, then they start telling you all kinds of interesting things about themselves and you see like their younger rebellious selves and um, like their hopes and dreams and even their silly dreams. It's really cool to learn that stuff. One of the really interesting things with the, the history you pull out is I, I find it fascinating to see um, just the varied backgrounds from your parents mm-hmm. and their parents, uh, especially with your dad's family coming from all sorts of different directions. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting how that really informs um, this. There's no like singular identity of what it means to live in Vietnam right? in the sixties and fifties and forties. Like it is such like, yeah. Yeah. And that was a big, um, I mean, that was my revenge against every bad Vietnam war movie that had portrayed us as like, you know, just the peasant or, you know, um, Straw hats and rice fields and exactly yeah and and I wanted to say that yes Vietnam is that and it is also people who lived in cities people with different political leanings people with like complicated family structures and family histories there so many families had member had people on both sides of the Civil War Um, you know that there were class differences and educational differences and you know, just different tastes among different people that like, you know, you know this about your own country, but it's somehow easy to um, turn somebody else's country into into a monolithic culture. What did you learn that was new to you through this process about the history of the country? Um, <clears throat> I think the thing that was hardest for me to, to reconcile was that everything was... Uh, so complicated by by uh, class and colonialism mm-hmm. um, that there was I kept trying uh, you know the, the first round of questions that I asked my parents came up with limited res- success because um, I kept trying to find out like uh, like who was right and who was wrong mm-hmm. and it became very hard I mean it, they couldn't answer that question because there wasn't a clear answer like everybody was a little bit of both. So, um, and and that's been like something that I had to completely reject from like the way that Americans tend to write about that war. They paint, like depending on what side they take, they might paint um, communists as all bad or or if they are pro-communist, they might paint like South Vietnam as all bad. But it was a lot more complicated than that, and then and the decisions that people made were, um, you know, oftentimes pretty limited by what class they belonged to. Um, maybe it'd be helpful for 
listeners that kind of have an idea of like the context of that time because I don't know as much as the kind of the history through that era has really um, kind of come through in present day the folks that kind of get yeah the, yeah okay. the, yeah the cycles of colonialism in, in Vietnam so like in the um, 40s and 50s when my dad was a little kid in North Vietnam um, <clears throat> it was still uh, it was still a French colony and it was briefly not a colony but then the French came back to try to reclaim it which caused a decade-long war that's called the first Indochina war um, so people who were living there like my dad were mostly just trying not to get killed um, and because the people who were fighting against the French colonialists were also communists. Um, it forced people to, to sort of choose an, e like an economic system, right? Like an, along with, with nationalism. Um, so they were very heroic in one way, but when they, when they won that war, <laughs> um, then it created a situation where people who um, belonged to the landowning class found themselves in a situation where actually their lives were in danger because of the land reforms that happened. Um, and the, la the land reforms were just like in their purest form, they were a way of like re redistributing wealth, which sounds great, but the way that it was carried out was actually really bloody and, and, and terrifying. So um, if you happened to be, be part of a family that owned some land, you could find yourself, um, having to flee that part of the country because you were afraid of getting head chopped off. And that was, that was, that was where my, my dad landed. Like he had gone from experiencing famine to, um, to, you know, having to leave the North because his grandmother was part of a landowning family. And then your mother comes from more of, um, kind of upper class yeah some, some financial or social privilege yeah yeah she came from a family um well her her father worked for the french he was an engineer he's an educated person and he was an engineer in colonial times um so they didn't <clears throat> they were like they were well taken care of because like their their house and um chauffeurs and and whatnot were provided by the government mm -hmm. um <clears throat> but uh as far as you know what my mother tells me is that there were people in his position who exploited it more to make themselves more wealthy but her dad was actually a really honest a really honest guy mm -hmm. so um so, you know, he just, he did his job and like they lived comfortably when he was working for the government. And then afterwards there really wasn't that much. Now the, the title, the best, uh, we could do, um, which I kind of refers to like, there's no, um, like I said, there's no good or bad side as much as it's just an amalgam of messes and <laughs> difficult decisions and situations. Um, did that title come out of kind of a, a better understanding of the realities that they dealt with yeah i guess so it was, it was my old person title you know <laughs> <laughs> you 
when you're, when you're young, you want life to fit into like these neat sides, and then as you get older and you as- assume more responsibility, you realize like the likelihood of you um, screwing up <laughs> is pretty pretty high. Um, so I think it came out of me becoming a parent, actually, and, okay. and having having empathy for my for my parents. Like I was I wasn't approaching them anymore as a former teenager with um, with gr- grudges to unpack. I was coming at them as a as a fellow parent, understanding um, that you can make mistakes and and really you know you were just trying to do your best. So raising your son has really changed your viewpoint on how you tell the story. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that I felt ready to tell the story until I became a parent. And it's it's ironic because like I had no time after I became a parent. <laughs> but it it was like the essential thing that like, you know, it was the it was the soup stock. Yeah. Or the ham bone. <laughs> um now, before we start the interview, we were talking about how I was mentioning about how I, I, I try not to talk on topics of the day, but uh, this book coming out uh, is very um, relevant as far as experiences folks are going through internationally where um, people are suffering through these proxy wars, mm-hmm. which in a lot of ways Vietnam was yeah. was a proxy war right. in itself with you know, untold millions suffering for it. Um, and I'm wondering about as the lead up to the book coming out and you're kind of seeing these um, similar situations or related situations and how that kind of affects your approach of of it coming out. Because I feel, I don't know how much, like how long ago you had it done because I know it's from Abrams so there's a fairly lengthy uh, ramp up from when books done to publication yeah. date from what yeah. I understand. Like a good year. Yeah. Uh, some t- I, I've heard folks could be longer. So that's what I was wondering is how much and how kind of seeing what's going on in Syria um, and just seeing other stories uh, kind of inf- affected your own process or do you try and compartmentalize it? Um, no, no, I see a lot of similarities. Um, you know, I was I when I started the book was during the Bush years, so I was thinking I was thinking about Iraq, and um, in the in between years of me working on the book on the side, I was um, teaching at a school for recent immigrants, so I was constantly meeting new new immigrants and new refugees, um, and seeing sort of the updated versions of what had happened with Vietnam with other countries and, and meeting the, you know, meeting the fallout. Yeah. Now you said you had uh, founded the school or co-founded the school that you're mm-hmm. teaching at. Um, why was that such a, an interest to you while doing this book? Like that's a, that's a pretty big project to take on um, and the interest in, in doing the school for, for recent immigrants. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was one of those jobs that's so demanding that it really took all of took all of my time and energy um and i i just worked on the book on holidays and weekends you know um but i don't know i never really considered myself a cartoonist first i can i you know i was pretty seriously an educator yeah um so that was just my work that was yeah that was 
my calling for for a good decade. Um, and you you feel like still a very tight uh, part of that community, or that 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 community is very important to you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still get. I'm still somehow on the email chains. <laughs> so once in a while, I yeah, I'll get pulled into a group email or um, actually volunteered for a planning committee or two. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happens, um, but I, like I have, I have a lot of loyalty to the people who are still working there, who I worked with. So when I see them, you know, needing help, I I try to jump in. But uh, I don't miss. I don't miss my days being um, so hectic. I, I don't. I don't really miss the bells ringing. <laughs> um, through the process of this book and the kind of weaving the various narrative strands that come through, I'm really interested in how you how you bring it all together because, like you're saying, it, it at one point uh, was fairly complex and there's a lot going on, <clears throat> and really trying to find those particular. Uh, things and how they touch upon each other and I found it really fascinating um, how you're able to kind of keep it going and really get into this thorough history yeah it was a lot of rewriting <laughs> uh, through the rewrites are there things that come out uh, new strands that develop or is it just kind of like pulling things out um, no there's definitely new strands that develop like um, I think that with a, a um, material like this where there's a lot of research and then there's just an overabundance of material um, you sort of have to have it all and then put it out in front of you and, and, and like draft chapters so that you can see it and then you know when you can see the stuff you um, certain threads kind of make themselves apparent mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then those are the things that um, I would hone in on and, and try to like craft, you know, craft the pages to make those strands like more come to the surface more. Now, at one point you were thinking of talking more about your own personal story and tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, and, and I'm interested how that shifted to really, you're pretty minimal within the aspect as much as you're just, you're the narrator <coughs> and you kind of bookend the context. Um, and, and how you pulled, like, why pull yourself out um, and really focus on on that that particular story as, as an important story to tell? You mean focus on my parents' stories? Yeah. Oh, that was always the plan. Okay. Yeah, I always had a, like, an outline of the whole thing. <clears throat> and the meat of the story was always, like, these chapters about my parents. But, um, but I knew it would be bookended by by the story of me becoming a parent. It's just that the problem with comics is that they take a long to draw, right? So like, you know, when I put out the first chapter and then I put out the second chapter, they were my introductory chapters, so they're full of me. They're so painful to have to explain to people, the book isn't really about me, but I, you know, I know that these two chapters make it look like it is, but there's, you know, there, there's a point to this. Um, now that you're done the book, um, do you kind of have a different way of how you would do a project like this? Um, kind of having a better idea of, of the process that goes into finishing? A... <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I, gosh, I, I tell everyone, because I, 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 I teach um, 
grad students now who are working on their own big comics projects and I just have to tell them don't do what I did it wasn't very wise <laughs> to try to to um you know to try to do this big long thing there's so much delayed gratification yeah um that said I thought that I would try to do short stuff you know only short stuff next and I did a couple of short things and I felt they were really stressful I don't know um so I'm I think maybe I'm just a slow cooker kind of comics writer I saw Seth on the weekend uh, do a talk, and he was mentioning about how um, the problem between doing a longer story compared to a shorter story is the shorter story is more difficult because you have to like really be specific and you can't meander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love meandering. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's where the good stuff comes for me. One of the neat things with your book is is you allow. Uh, a lot of space to happen and a lot of breathing to happen um, to kind of set the scene and kind of understand the environment. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, <clears throat> that's really important where, and I think maybe Craig was kind of along that line with like, stay away from the journaling is um, you kind of get more immersed within the world. Right. Um, and I'm interested about, when doing something uh, illustratively like this um, and kind of representing uh, a history, um, how you kind of boil down, because you're, you're not going to be drawing, you know, specific, you know, fine-tuned photorealism. Um, no. But just like really capturing the idea of these places. Um, and kind of how that <clears throat> comes out through your drawing process. Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, with places and, and, and even with people, there's a lot of um, empathy can go a long way, right? Mm. So, um, you know, I, tried, I, I did a lot of visual research into just flora and fauna and basic architectural shapes. So I wouldn't have to do so much photo referencing, like for every single panel, but I would have a general idea of like what was historically historically accurate. Um, and then, um, just, uh, thinking about weather and whether you'd feel hot or cold in a place or whether there would be wind or, um, um, whether a space was cramped or whether it smelled bad, just thinking about those sort of bodily sensations of being in a place helped me think about how to draw them, mm -hmm. what, what to focus on. Now you went back there. Uh, I guess after high school, was it? Uh, no, I went once, uh, I think in grad school, and then okay. again, again after, uh, a few years after that, I got a grant to take my mom back so that she could take me to all the places where we'd lived. Okay. And so that really, was that uh, a big part research trip, too? Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell me about how that experience kind of informs the work you're working on. Uh, when you're there? Um, it was pretty meaningful, actually, because um, I, I applied for the grant, and then um, I sort of, oops, got pregnant, and <laughs> and then went, went back on this big research trip with my mother, who was pregnant when she left Vietnam, and then I was pregnant going back to Vietnam. So I guess, like, maybe there was something subconscious happening with, like, just understanding our relationship in a in a 
in a generational sense where the future and the past were, were tied up in it too. Um, with that trip there, um, were there things that stuck out um, that you really wanted to convey with the book from that, uh, that, that played a difference? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like, I definitely spent a lot of time just looking at Vietnam and trying to figure out, like, what makes it Vietnam, what, what were, like, you know, little, just little details, like, um, in how in the cities, the, the electrical cord, like, the power lines are really, um, it's pretty scary because <laughs> there's, <laughs> so, there's many. so many wires upon wires and it's all quite dangerous. Um, and then how traffic is all, is, is equally scary because it's just like, you know, scooters and people and sequels all piled up on top, on top of each other, but somehow no one gets hurt. Um, and then how the sky is heavy because the clouds sort of sit lower to the ground. Um, uh, you know, so what, what street garbage looks like, how the light works, you know, th there were definitely a lot of visual things I was picking up on just by being there that I couldn't get from photographs. Mm -hmm. The smell in the streets. Yeah. The food. Yeah, um, yeah the materials that uh, people use. Although I had to do a lot of imagining with past scenes of Vietnam because there, there's, you know, there's definitely like pre-plastic days and then post-plastic days and those look very different. Now, after doing um, really like an intensive long-term work like this, where do you see yourself going creatively next? Um... <laughs> I'm doing another one next. <laughs> <laughs> this is, <clears throat> I have a problem. Um, <clears throat> no, so, um, so after spending a lot of time uh thinking about Vietnam's past. Um, I, I want to spend a lot of time thinking about Vietnam's present and future. Okay. So I'm going back, I'm doing some preliminary research right now, and then I'm going to go back and um, go to the Mekong Delta, which is in the south, where most of the rice is grown, and study the effects of climate change there. Because <clears throat> it's, uh, yeah, it's an area of, the world that is has been described as being in the bullseye of climate change so with rising seas and the whole area being only like six feet above sea level yeah um the whole place is going to be underwater by 2050 jesus yeah yeah so i mean like the end of the world is happening there and i and i want to go i want to go understand that yeah being in this country and, and with the level of climate change denial that happens here and like the, the, the luxury of being able to de deny you know, yeah. that reality, it's maddening. So I, I want to go understand this. Yeah, I hear you. Um, now, for folks wanting to check out your work, it is out in stores, um, but you'll also be at some upcoming uh, comics things. You'll be at the Arkansas Literary Festival uh, the week this is posted of the 24th mm -hmm. as well. You'll be at TCAF in May and um, San Diego Comic-Con. Anything else I'm forgetting that's coming up? Let's see. I'll be at BookCon in New York at the beginning of June. Oh, there we go. And um, I think I'm going to SPX and the Brooklyn Book Festival in September. Oh, nice. They're both very nice shows. I've heard. 
yeah. will be the first time. The Brooklyn one's really neat because it's such a small show. Yeah. But you'll see lots of interesting folks there. And, um, the woman that puts on the comics part is really wonderful. Awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, thank you again for joining me today. Reminder, folks, I've been talking to Ibui, uh, and her book is the best we could do. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. for one